Welcome back. I'm so happy to have you with me this week for this episode of Happified featuring my guest Elizabeth Onyebor. Elizabeth is a leading international expert on perfectionist leaders and high achievers. As the founder of Inner Genuity, she coaches leaders ready to move forward with ease, be their best, and achieve unstoppable results. She has guided both individual and organizational transformations around the world for more than 25 years and has been featured on ABC, CBS, The Boston Herald, Wall Street Select, Fox, and NBC. She is also an award-winning, best-selling author and poet. Elizabeth, I'm so happy to have you with me on the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you, Susie. Thank you for having me. And I'm so glad that we connected um, in this space, in this virtual world where we get to make connections around the world. You're joining me from Nigeria, so we don't let anything stand in the way. <laughs> exactly. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how through the, the story of your experience, the focus that you had over the years, why do you feel it's so important now to be having this conversation about the way that uh, perfectionists show up in the world or how that relates to the work that we're doing? Well, my own story um, really, I guess, hit in about 2012. And um, I call it my midlife meltdown because I was trying to be the perfect everything and it was killing me. I was trying to be the perfect mom, the perfect boss, the perfect friend, the perfect wife, the perfect, I mean, you name it. And it was crushing that pressure to try to be perfect and knowing that I was completely imperfect you know, that disconnect was so crushing that at that point, um, it literally almost killed me because I felt so unworthy. And, you know, that's a common theme that we can talk about with perfectionism. And so the funny thing is, though, it also saved me because what I was thinking of and researching like, okay, well, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to be perfect and I'm never going to be good enough and I might as well just stop. Right. Uh, but it saved me because I couldn't find the perfect way <laughs> to end it all. <laughs> and so my journey has taken me through unwinding these things and realizing that these perfectionistic traits and behaviors and perfectionism because to be a perfectionist i mean it's part of our identity and we wear our high standards as a, a brand of honor um, but internally when when that inner critic gets going it burns a brand of shame and and yet on the outside I mean, people who worked with me had no idea. And so when I came out with my first book about my healing journey um, out of suicidal depression, 
they they were like we had no idea you know my my coworkers at that time and i was like of course you had no idea i didn't want anybody to know like i was embarrassed i was ashamed because what i wasn't perfect and so it's really my mission to help all perfectionists find and lasting joy and expand their self-love Mm, I really love that. I think that everybody can certainly do for expanding our self-love, but especially as you're talking about people who have that high level of requirements, they hold themselves to such an impossibly high standard. And that inner critic that, just as you say, you would never let anyone else see is working away behind that facade as perfect as we can make it to keep the outside world humming along um, can really add up quickly to bring you down, I think. And you yeah. have a quiz so uh, people can assess where they tend to fall in perfectionist tendencies. And I can see some aspects, not all. And so I can find points of relatability um, I've heard, certainly heard, and perhaps our audience has heard people say, don't let perfect be the enemy of progress. And so we can bring a logical perspective to it, but at the same time, when we're holding ourselves to this kind of standard, logic isn't always the best way to, to approach it or to maybe to, to counter the impact of that perfectionist um, tendency. How did you recognize in yourself that you were holding yourself to a standard that just wasn't possible, unfortunately? <laughs> well, it, you know, it really took some time to recognize and create awareness because um, I had only ever really heard that, you know, oh, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist and it's of course, a brand of honor, like, oh, if they ask you in an interview, like, what's, what's your, um, you know, weakness, oh, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, right. But there isn't a whole lot that talks about kind of the kryptonite. Okay, we think of perfectionism and, and all that as our superpower. And it can be, it's that there's this whole side of kryptonite to it that when we don't recognize it, it just saps our superpower. And so I help people really um, get into this focused flow of not this all or nothing mentality. And for me, it was creating awareness of, you know, more and more that, okay, I'm expecting myself to be here, I feel like I'm, you know, much lower, there's this gap, and I call it the not good enough gap. Um, how am I going to close that? And for a really long time, decades, <laughs> I thought I could fill that gap by accomplishing things. Right. And it was, I think there was a pivotal moment when I was looking through this strengths finder assessment that I had done 
years before and it said one of my top strengths was achievement orientation and i thought yeah you know i am achievement oriented i like to get things done i like to you know but the reality is that i was trying to prove my worth i was trying to feel good enough by doing things or getting things done so i was a human <laughs> and uh what what was i think really stunning was that assessment said this is never going to go away you're always going to be unsatisfied with your achievements and i thought oh is that why i ha i have this like hole in my soul where every accomplishment just you know no matter how big no matter how great like momentarily feels good but then gets sucked into this black hole of not good enough and i'm happy to report that through these practices and mostly it was because i was focusing on trying to figure out how to be happy and make it last because I didn't realize that I had so much anxiety and depression because I had kept myself so busy over the years um, so that I wouldn't notice. And it was really coming out of that and embracing all of these things about myself and expanding self-love that really made the difference. Now, saying it is one thing, doing it is <laughs> a whole other thing. <laughs> There's the, the path to recognition and then the path to making that claim for yourself and then actual actually integrating it. Absolutely. It, it's definitely a process that we keep coming back to, I think. Well, and I think that's a really good point, Susie because self-development is never done. And what had happened with me is that I had thought, look, these are some issues I have, put them on a to-do list, check them off one by one, ta-da, like my <laughs> to-do list of self-development is done. <laughs> but that's not the way it works. And what had happened for me was I, in 2012, I had just come out of like a period where I had done a lot of self-development work in the previous few years. And I had got to a really great place. And I stopped doing all those practices one by one. And then I got even deeper but I'm so grateful because um, I got to a deeper level. I mean, you, you can't get any deeper than rock bottom. So <laughs> every way was up. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I appreciate too, and, and I hope that people understand in, in your part of the story that, you know, even with the work that you've been putting in, that you've been doing, refining, developing yourself, trying to check things off of our personal to-do list, that um, instead of that being a linear path, 
you know, I think a lot of times it is cyclical and we uncover more things that we have to deal with instead of feeling like we've made progress, it feels like a setback, which I'm sure can be very overwhelming when you're achievement oriented and off the list means progress, not setbacks. Right. It's like, holy crap, didn't, didn't I, like, didn't I fix you? <laughs> didn't I fix myself? <laughs> like, isn't this done? Um, but I've discovered that here's what happens. Anytime we expand our comfort zone, these traits and behaviors, especially the perfectionistic traits and behaviors, because they were formed very early on and in some instances are carried through DNA, mm. as research has shown. And so all of these things started before we were even um, verbal. Okay, So these perfectionistic traits and behaviors, once we expand our comfort zone, they pop up again. But the thing is, when we have practices and um, habits that we form and greater awareness, then it's like, oh, hello, old friend, welcome, let's have a chat. So this is what's going on now. It's so much easier to deal with. And, um, and this is what I've found, and this is what I uh, work with my my clients on. And so I would imagine a good number of people might be sitting there saying, you're talking about me. <laughs> I really um, re resemble these comments that are being shared. And so I, what in your experience is the, the extent of it? How widespread is perfectionism? Because I feel like they tend to, we tend to hold to ourselves and not confess we might be perfectionists, maybe as, you know, like a, a social party, like a quip, but not really be present to what that means and how that impacts. So how, how common is it that people are really struggling with these issues? Well, um, according to research that I found, one in three are perfectionists. So it is pretty widespread. And then when you get in the leadership echelons and business owners, entrepreneurs, um, I would say that it's probably more than one in three because of the achievement orientation. Okay, so the interesting thing is, and just let this sink in for a second, the research shows that perfectionists are successful in spite of not because of these exceptionally high standards that we put on ourselves that which is stunning yes because yes. we all attribute it to look i'm doing so great because i have high standards and we're we we all know that it puts us into overwhelm and we say yes when we really don't want to say yes we pile up things on our plate because we're people pleasers and we have issues with boundaries like we're trying so hard to prove our worth through um doing things that human doing part mm -hmm. that um it it puts us into a lot of overwhelm and so we have three types of perfectionists Okay, there's, um, and they're not mutually exclusive, by the way. Okay, <laughs> you can be all of them. 
great. <laughs> you don't hear one. And okay. Go, okay. Or, or just one. The others. <laughs> yeah. So there's self-oriented perfectionism. Okay. So the self-oriented perfectionist is setting high standards for him or herself. And, and the definition really, it isn't just about the high standards. Okay. Cause lots of people have high standards. And just because you have exceptionally high standards does not a perfectionist make. It's what comes along with it. It's the never feeling that you meet those standards. It's the not feeling good enough. And that inner critic and all of that that comes along with it. It's the meaning and the interpretation that we make um, when we make a mistake or we don't feel we've achieved that standard that we set for ourselves, that not good enough gap is the definition of a self-oriented perfectionist. And it's really interesting. Um, I'll just tell you a little tidbit here because when I started my work with um, specifically with perfectionists, I was talking with my husband and he was like, why do you keep saying I'm not a perfectionist? And I said, because you don't meet the definition. He's like, I have high standards. And I said, yeah, but you don't beat yourself up over it if you don't meet them. And he goes, yeah, why would I do that? <laughs> but from the outside looking in, it feels like maybe I should be more of a perfectionist. So that's a really <laughs> interesting story. I love it. So I said to him, well, you're an other oriented perfectionist, okay? You, you have high standards, but you expect other people to meet your standards and you're upset when they don't meet them, but you don't beat yourself up over it. So there's self-oriented perfectionists. And so when we don't meet the expectations we set for ourselves, we beat ourselves up. There's uh, other oriented perfectionism, okay? And that's directed toward other people. It's like, well, I can't delegate to that person because they're not gonna meet my standards and da 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 So um, then there's socially oriented perfectionism. And this is at almost epidemic proportions now, especially in the younger age groups, um, teenagers, college age, because of this social media picture perfect kind of um, influence that has happened over the past, you know, couple decades. So you can be all three of these. And um, I call that the perfectionism trifecta. And um, that's me. <laughs> So you can, you can put on all three hats. You can sit with people coming from whichever is their primary driver. And, and I would imagine that it, that it can shift. We can go from being self-oriented to other oriented and. Right. So this is the fascinating thing because most people who are perfectionists will say, well, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist in such and such. Like I'm not a perfectionist about everything. Well, actually you are but so here's the deal with perfectionists we have an all or nothing mentality either it's 150 percent 
or it's zero and we don't even start on it and we get stuck. Okay. So the things that we put over in the zero, like, well, I'm not going to worry about this. And I'll tell you, one of mine is like, I'm not a super duper house cleaner. You know, I'm what you call a relaxed house cleaner. Okay. <laughs> That's in my like zero category. I'm not going to be doing that 150%, except sometimes. Except sometimes I'll get that little, you know, that old toothbrush out and I'll clean the grout and like something that I thought was going to take 15 minutes, three hours later, I'm getting it perfect, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And so I that, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, and I think it, it also um, just goes to show that, you know, we, we go through different phases and stages. There are different priorities. Um, and I love as you're talking about that inner gremlin, because I do think that is something that just about everyone can relate to but maybe the volume that it can take on when you're a perfectionist is a different, is a different animal. Yeah. So I think that's a really good point, Susie, because the more that we're under stress, these perfectionistic traits and tendencies are going to come up even stronger. So, um, I remember some years back when, um, we were in the midst of wedding planning, not mine, but my daughter's and trying to get everything just so, so, um, you know, chances are if you're a perfectionist parent, one or more of your children is going to be a perfectionist also. <laughs> my mother was a perfectionist. I have siblings who are perfectionists. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. So, <laughs> really ramping up because I was, I wanted things to be perfect. Okay. I wanted them to be just right. I might not have said perfect at the time, I'm, but I just wanted them to be right. And there were all these workers around who, who were like, yeah, this is good enough. And I was like, no, it is not good enough. <laughs> and I was like, okay, take a chill pill. I'm, I, I started noticing, like, I was, I was getting stressed about it. And I was like, you know, really, it is good enough. Who's going to notice besides me? It's done. I'm over it. Making the choice then, making the choice to, to find a point at which you can let go. What do you, um, what is a piece of advice for perfectionists who are struggling with that inner critic, who have trouble saying, okay, this is where I can let that go? The biggest difference that, uh, in my life and what I help my clients with, and there's, there's a whole methodology to this, but here's the simplest thing I can boil it down to make friends with your inner critic. The thing is that inner critic is there as a protector, even though it sounds very often, especially when we're stressed, especially when we're worried or fearful, it may sound very negative, very uh, critical, 
it actually, he or she is trying to protect us. And I would suggest you befriend that inner critic. It doesn't really, that inner critic doesn't really mean the harm that it creates. So see if you can shift some of the conversation that you're having with yourself and your inner critic to what would a best friend say? So, you know, sometimes like we make a mistake and we're like, oh, I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? I shouldn't, have, you know, go through all of that. But the thing is, you know, Susie, if you came to me and you said, oh, I made a mistake and this happened, I wouldn't say to you those things that my inner critic says to me, right? Mm -hmm. I would try to empathize with you, give you some compassion, encouragement. So see how you can just shift the dialogue so that your inner critic becomes more like what a best friend might say to you. Now, it isn't always going to work, but there is this dynamic going on with the inner dialogue, this um, inner voice that we have that can be critical. But we can really um, embrace, and this is what comes from loving, you know, expanding the self-love, is because that inner critic that petulance that criticalness um it's actually coming from the parts that we reject about ourselves so it's like our inner child feeling wounded you know have you ever watched a little kid who like well you know if you, i don't want to do that and then you know like that kind of attitude well if you don't want to play i don't want to play with you either you know so recognize that it's it's really about accepting all these parts of ourselves and as we do this step by step and it does take time that will completely shift i really love that and thank you for that um reflection about how we can engage with that voice because i think people are very tempted to try to hit the mute button instead of looking for a way to engage and be curious where is that inner critic coming from why does it snap back so hard in certain situations like you said when stress is up when we're under a deadline different things are going on we're already depleted because other things are impacting us maybe health-wise or in relationships and boy it can be hard to hold space with that voice so i love that um, suggestion of engaging with it of recognizing that influence and of of looking for ways to redirect it it's not about muting it that's really helpful i just needed to be heard <laughs> yeah and and it you know it's step by step so we want to do things that are um, 
like you don't want to turn it on full volume because that can be overwhelming too um, especially if you're already depressed but one of the first practices i did was i actually wrote out some of those things that my inner critic was screaming at me and i went with it and and i let the negative i actually wanted to prove the negative in the in the and the thing was, as soon as I like allowed the negative and said, okay, so, you know, I'm ugly and I'm fat and I'm this and I'm that, you know, um, all of a sudden, but, but no, you're not like you're da, 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 da. So it was really weird because instead of pushing it away and trying to hit the mute button, I was like, okay, talk. And it's like, wait, you're listening to me. <laughs> Okay, we can say some nice things now. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I say it's about befriending, but you know, do it like like a kiddie pool. You know, don't like start trying to surf the ocean of emotion with your inner critic. Just dip your toe into the kiddie pool and then you'll graduate to the bigger pool and then maybe you can uh step in the surf of the ocean of emotion and then you can kind of boogie board and then you can surf the ocean of emotion it's a step-by-step -step process yes thank you for that um i think especially being achievement oriented we want to say okay i'm ready to tackle this we're digging out all the dirt and i'm gonna sit with it all um nobody's getting up from this table until we're clear <laughs> Yeah, just remember, it's not a to do list that you check off on your self development. So that's why I call them practices. Yes, practices. And I love your suggestion of I'm a big fan of journaling exercises. I think when we give ourselves that kind of opportunity to let things come up past that first layer, dropping into a lower level of recognition or just seeing what words come up it's really interesting to see how things can resolve themselves. Like you said, with that experiment, the voice kind of ran out of steam. Oh, you are listening to me. Right. And then the more we listen, you know, things like that. And like you said, journaling, like I remember I did a forgiveness um, exercise and uh, it said, what do you believe about forgiveness and I wrote a few things and then the last thing was that I didn't deserve forgiveness and that was really shocking really woke me up I thought wow okay there's some there's some more exploration to be doing there <laughs> and not necessarily so that's in that a, same sitting in that same session but okay all right oh no 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 yeah <laughs> because you see you see what i recognized was when i told you early on that the perfectionism almost killed me it was almost i would say the bulk of it was around mom, mom guilt and um 
I mean, every parent has some guilt, okay? Uh, but mine was really severe and it took a lot of forgiveness. And that's why the third book that I've written is all about how I healed my mom guilt. Mm, I think a lot of parents, mothers and parents would benefit from that perspective because I do think that is something that uh, that they can carry and, and not recognize how it's weighing them down and impacting that relationship with their children too. Absolutely. And um, one of the stunning things was when I started to talk about things with my family that I had the burdens I had been carrying. And as I started forgiving myself, I had conversations with other family members. They were carrying a burden for the exact same thing. So I was blaming myself. Somebody else was blaming him or herself, right? And so by having this conversation, we were actually able to unburden all of us. It was an amazing process. That's really beautiful. And what a gift to make space for that. It's not an easy conversation to begin, but within that space, unexpected healing is able to right. happen. Yeah, it was, it was really wonderful. And so such a surprise. <laughs> Please share with our audience where they can learn more about the books that you've written. It sounds like there's really, really valuable insights in all of them and how and how they can connect with you to move forward if they'd like to learn. Okay, great. Um, I have a couple of websites. One is elizabethonyabo.com and that's where you can find out about my books and habitualhappinesshub.com is another place where you can find out about the work that I do with perfectionists. And um, I founded the Habitual Happiness Hub because I, I feel that it's a practice. Like I choose lasting joy and I do it through my practices because one of the number one things I wanted to make sure is that I could continue these practices and really sustain what I had discovered. So, um, they can connect with me on social media, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and Twitter, and Instagram. And um, also, I have a gift that I'm sharing. It's called Seven Powerful Practices for Perfectionists. And Susie will share the link. And this goes through uh seven things the first is the perfectionist mindset the second is excellent goals the third is results the fourth is finding forgiveness the fifth is empathy and compassion the sixth is connection with the full self and the seventh is taking time to celebrate and all of these acronyms together spell perfect because you were born perfect. You don't have to strive to be perfect. 
Mm, I really love that. And I think that there's something for absolutely everyone in that, certainly for the perfectionists in the group, but certainly for everyone else who, you know, we, we push ourselves. Sometimes that inner critic can go round and be holding us back. Um, and so that sounds really terrific. I love the breadth of what you're sharing in that resource. So I hope folks take advantage. We'll definitely have the link in the show notes, as well as those points of connection with Elizabeth. So you can move forward there if you want to learn more. There's so much to this conversation. And I appreciate your two coming back to um, the choices that we make, the habits that we can build to move ourselves in the direction that we choose. Um, it surprises some people when I say that happiness is a bit of a triggering word because it doesn't come easily. So I appreciate that you're sharing tools to help people find out how to build that for themselves. And I'd like to give one last tip in that regard. Um, and that is, I call them habits and practices, but they're day by day. I don't call them daily because of this whole thing of all or nothing. Like as a perfectionist, if, if we don't do it perfectly, we're like, oh, well then, okay, I'll just stop. Or, oh, I have to start over. Or then, then we beat ourselves up. So give yourself permission to do day-by-day -day practices to build momentum. If you skip a day or two, totally okay. Just continue the momentum. That's the really important thing. So I call them day-by-day -day practices to give, myself, to give myself and others permission. Mm. Thank you for that. That's a really important part. I think that we tend to, as we've been discussing, be our own worst critic, but then certainly underestimate what we're capable of because we're only tracking the ways in which we feel we fall short instead of recognizing the progress that we make. So I love that you talk about moving into momentum, recognizing where we are showing up the way that we want to and changing our focus. Again, it, it, it's definitely a practice. It, it takes some muscle building in that regard. <laughs> yep, and it's lifelong, but it gets easier. Yeah. And it's totally worth it. Marvelous. Thank you so much. There's really, really a lot to think about here in this conversation. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that, uh, that comes to mind before we go today? So I think there's maybe just one one last thing and that is the biggest myth about the perfectionist mindset and i kind of touched on it but i i want to be very specific here the biggest myth is that we think through achievements we're going to close that not good enough gap but here's what happens so the biggest myth is we're not going to close it through achieving because what happens is when we set a goal and we don't think it's good enough, we have this good, not good enough gap. But research also shows that when we have this really high standard and we actually meet it, we somehow say to ourselves, oh, that was too easy. I should have set a higher standard. And we create 
a not good enough gap. Now, it's not comfortable to feel not good enough, but it's familiar. And we create that familiar not good enough gap ourselves. So it's it's this knowing situation that we create of not good enough and accomplishments and doing are not going to close the gap. It's through tapping into the human being and the expanding self-love that is going to close that not good enough gap. Wow. I'm so glad you brought us back to that because that is something I think a lot of people will probably have their eyes open a little bit bigger the way that mine just did. It, because it's that point of comfort. Our comfort zone is to see how we fell short. It really does take building new practices. And yeah, to it's familiar. It doesn't feel good. Right. Yeah. That's an important, important thing. Yeah, and that's why we don't celebrate our successes because we never feel like we've been successful. <laughs> I should have been more successful. That's where I'm <laughs> that time. Yeah, like, oh, well, I did that. That was too easy. And it's like, even if it's like Herculean effort to do it, somehow we're like, well, wow, I met it. Hmm. I, sh I should have said it higher. Like, and it's not, I mean, this, this is the, the way all self-oriented perfectionists think it's the mindset. So it's really about the awareness and shifting and, and doing and actually more being than doing. Yes. Like being first, then do. So be, then do. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah. I think that there's so much. So I'll close with that thought. You, you are a human being. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not the sum of what you have done. <laughs> That's marvelous. Thank you so Absolutely. much. I really appreciate everything that you've shared. So much food for thought here. And um, certainly then we've got the resources in the show notes if you want to connect with Liz and see what, what she is creating, what she's sharing in the world. Stay inspired with these brilliant insights. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. This has been terrific. Thank you, Susie. It's been my pleasure. Have a great day. Take good care.